good morning, guys. It's so great to be here and speaking to you again this year. Uh, my name's Aaron Asu said. I'm from Birmingham. I'm a Brummie boy born and bred. That's not very easy to say, but it, it's true. And um, I want to firstly let you into a little secret um, that you may not know about me. Now, um, does anyone want to guess? Does anyone want to guess how old I am? 86. I'm a little bit younger than 86. 17. 24. There's a lot here. There's a lot here. Okay, okay, okay. It's going to come as a bit of a shock to you, but I'm actually 35 years old. So if you got 35, well done. If my youth group, if any of you got that wrong, then um, you're in trouble later. And I was born in, um, I was born in 1982, back in the 80s. Yeah. And no. Okay. Uh, and I'm part of a generation that is known as the millennial generation. I'm only just a millennial, but I'm a millennial, I'm claiming it. And uh, we were the generation that were uh, the first generation to have internet at home. It's not like the internet that you guys have at home, as was uh, dial-up internet. You had to get everybody else off the f home phone before you could get on it. It took you about half an hour to actually get on it. And then when you finally did get on it, somebody lifted up the phone to make a phone call and the, the connection died and you'd have to start all over again. And also with a generation that had mass, uh, mass access to mobile phones, this is very similar to the first mobile phone that I owned. I don't know if you can see that. Classic Nokia. It's a brick. It's classic. And... Um, and if you guys are here and you're born past 1995, you guys are known as the Generation Z or the I-Generation. Give us a whoop if you're in 1995 and after. Yeah. And uh, I did a, bit of research on, uh, did a bit of research on your generation. And uh, it said, I found some stats, it said that your generation would spend up to, on average, so average is the important word here, 11 hours a day on social media. I don't know how you achieve that. I really don't, because I don't do 11 hours a day doing anything. And, um, and also, I found this is the best stat that I think I found. 40% of you, so there's 1,000 of you here, so 400 of you would prefer to have working Wi-Fi than a working toilet. Now, yeah, you can, you can see where I go with this. Now, I'm pretty sure that in, if that 40% of you needed a toilet, I'm pretty sure that Wi-Fi uh, wouldn't come into play in your mindset in that moment. Now, my generation uh, is different to your generation, and your de generation hasn't actually uh, got much data on it yet. They reckon that in 10 to 15 years, they'll know exactly what impact your generation is going to have on the world. And it got me thinking about generations and the impact that generations have uh, on the world, and I thought, actually, you know, this could be different. What if your generation, the thousand plus of you here, were known as the known generation? And that's the title of my talk today. You guys are the known generation. Your generation has the chance to change the world. You know, when we look at the news, we see so many different uh, generations in the news at the moment. And uh, particularly, I just want to highlight one to you. So we've got the, um, the Enough campaign that's going on in the United States of America at the moment. A, grumpy, a group of young people who've had enough of the gun laws in the United States and are, are trying to make a change as a group of people 
not just a small change, but a massive change, a change of the law in the US. And we've also got groups in the past, when you, when you dig a bit deeper, the suffragettes, the guys who were involved in the Middle East uprisings a few years ago. You've got guys, um, people who lead groups like Martin Luther King or William Wilberforce. You know, these guys had an impact on their generation. And DTI, I believe that you guys have the same, uh, you, can, you guys can have the same impact to your generation. Now, my school, when I was at uh, senior school, was known for um, its drama productions. They did all these fancy drama productions, all these musicals. I'm not a massive fan of musicals, but they did them. Oh, sorry, I've, lo I've lost some of you now, haven't I? Oh, dear. Uh, anyway, uh, my year group, particularly at school, were, um, were known by the school as the worst school year ever for expulsions in the school's history. And um, I'll let you decide which I was closer to, drama or expulsion. Anyway, um, but I wanted to say that my generation, the guys that I went to school with that followed Jesus, we didn't do a very good job of sharing our faith with our friends. We kind of failed a little bit as a generation. But you guys, you have the opportunity to reach your friends in school. You guys are a generation of young people that I think can be the difference. And you know, when we look at the Bible, we see groups of people that are described in different ways. The Israelites in the Old Testament, they were known for being uh, the guys who just wandered around the desert for 40 years, grumbling. The disciples were known for kind of doubting or denying, but ultimately they were known for spreading the gospel to the four corners of the world. And as a group of young people, I want to challenge you this morning that you guys can be a generation known for God. And going back to that Enough campaign in, this, in the US, you know, this is a group of young people who are trying to make a difference, trying to make a change. Not individuals trying to do something, but a collective trying to make a difference. And DTI, your generation, has that opportunity. You know, as a vineyard, we talk a lot about extending God's kingdom everywhere in every way. If you've not heard that before, just be around the vineyard a bit longer and you'll definitely hear it. Because we believe that this is important stuff. Jesus calls each of us to live lives that model his life. You know, showing others what God is like, his love, his grace, and his mercy. It doesn't matter what church you're from. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, whether you gave your life to Jesus last night or you've been a Christian for years like myself. We're all called to the same thing. Now, I'm going to be using a passage from Philippians which speaks on being a different generation. So if you've got a Bible, it's in Philippians 2, verse 14 to 16. And uh, it's going to pop up on the screen as well. But it says this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Now, Paul, the guy who wrote this, he was, uh, he was in prison for, for telling people about Jesus. And uh, he wrote Philippians in prison. He wrote other stuff as well in prison. But actually... Paul, even though he's in prison, he's bursting with enthusiasm. As you read his letters, as you read his writings, he's bursting with enthusiasm about the gospel. He wants to communicate the importance of Jesus to us, to the people he was writing to. You know, Jesus is our example, 
and, uh, and uh, how we should live, how we should uh, act, the words we should use. Now, imagine with me for a second, it's going to take a bit of an imagination, but imagine with me for a second that you're, you're an ant, okay? Yeah, an ant, yeah. You know those little creepy crawly things across the floor? And um, now you may think that an ant, when you look at it, is not really a significant animal, is it? I mean, it's tiny. What kind of difference does an ant make? Not really much. But actually, when a bunch of ants get together collectively, they can make a massive difference. They can actually carry way and above beyond their own body weight. And also, they can make a nest that go m for miles, like massive nests. And um, recently, I saw a video about um, an excavation that took place in South Africa for an ant's nest. This is the picture of it. It is massive. And the group of uh, people who were digging it said this about it. Over three days, we poured 10 tons of cement into the abandoned colony's ventilation ducts to make a cast. The excavation, which took weeks to complete, even with heavy equipment, revealed a massive complex, 500 square feet in area, extending a crazy 26 feet deep. 26 feet deep. Now, I'm six foot four, so that's roughly about four times my height, if my math serves me correct. And I want you to keep this picture in mind of this ant's nest. I want to keep, in my, keep, you, keep it in mind that as a group of young people, you can make this kind of difference in the world. You may think that you're insignificant, but I want to assure you to, to, uh, this morning that you are not insignificant. That you, each of you have a massive part to play in this generation of change. So I've got three things that I want to uh, specifically highlight. Firstly, I want to suggest that you guys can be a generation known for worship. A generation known for worship. Now, if you haven't already, singing worship songs is a high priority for us. But actually, as you delve into the word worship, and you delve into what the Bible talks about, actually the word worship underpins everything about us as Christians. Everything that we do, everything that we say, every action that we undertake, every thought that we have, worship underpins it all. Now, don't get me wrong, it's massively important that we sing songs of praise to Jesus, we sing collective songs together, but that's only part of our worship to God. Paul in this passage is saying that we need to live in a way that is different from the generation that we are a part of. He calls it a crooked and wicked generation, a warped generation. And God is inviting each of us to a higher calling. How does this work in practice? Well, we are to worship Jesus when we're at school, college or work. We are to worship Jesus in how we use our money and our time. And we are to worship Jesus in how we treat people and the actions that we undertake. Now, we've got a massive serving team this year at DTI, the biggest serving team that we've ever got. And these guys are all here as an act of worship to Jesus. They're giving up their time for free. They're giving up their weekends for free. And these are people here doing things like serving you breakfast. And there's even a team here who are cleaning the toilets and showers for you. Although, having said what I said earlier, yeah, they do need a round of applause, yeah. Although, having said what I said earlier, 40% of you don't care about a working toilet. You're too busy looking for Wi-Fi. So that doesn't really account for, for you guys. But, you know, guys, I haven't got this sorted. I'm still learning. You know, I want to tell you a story about when I was growing up. So when I was growing up, I grew up in a non-Christian home. I, re I wasn't really taught about money and how to use it. I wasn't really taught about the fact that, you, you know, the Bible teaches you about giving money to church. 
Um, some of you might know that as tithing. So when I started going to church, I didn't really give any money, maybe 50p here and there. And uh, when I got a full-time job, I still didn't give money to church. I was like, hey, this, I've earned this money, this is mine. Uh, I gave like a quid here and there, you know, really generous of me. Um, and there's this one time that I remember sitting at church and I was like, okay, I'm going to give some money into the, into the offering this week. And uh, I looked in my wallet and I had a five-pound note. And I was like, okay. And then I thought about it for a second and I was like, actually, after church, I want a cheeseburger from McDonald's. But I've only got a five-pound note but I want to give to church, but I really want a cheeseburger. So basically what happened is the, uh, the offering basket came round and it got to the person next to me and I was like, what am I going to do, what am I going to do? It got passed to me. I put the five pound note in and I took two pounds out of the offering <laughs> and put it back in my wallet. Now I'm not condoning that. You know, when we have the offering later for open doors, I'm not saying that's what you should do. Please don't. I dread to think what people around me were thinking. They were probably like, that guy's stealing from the offering. He's not putting anything in. He's taking it away. I don't condone it. But over the years, Jesus has challenged me that my money is an act of, how I use my money is an act of worship to him. You know, all I have is his. And so who am I to keep it from him? Another example, relationships. We've all in some kind of relationship. You know, Jesus calls us to worship him in our relationships, in, in our relationship with our parents, our brothers and sisters, um, and our boyfriend and girlfriend, if we have them. You know, as le- youth leaders, we talk a lot about relationships, don't we? Would you agree? As youth groups, have you, have you all had a relationship series recently? Or is it just Birmingham that gets the hard deal? Maybe it's just Birmingham. Anyway, you know, you are to worship God in all of your relationships. You know, and why do we feel that this is important? Because we understand the pressure you guys are all under. You know, pressure from TV, from films from social media, pressure from your mates. You know, you, you are pressured all the time, 24-7 bombardment. And we do it, we highlight this, we talk to you about it because we love you and we want to encourage you to walk the, the path that Jesus has for each of you. You know, the book of Romans encourages us not just to follow Jesus, but, uh, sorry, not to follow the pattern of the world, but follow Jesus We are called to be a generation of transformers, not conformers. We're called to be a generation of transformers, not the robots in disguise. That's not what I'm talking about. Transforming people and places, not conforming to the world around us. And there are loads of other things that I could talk about, you know, how are you worshipping God in using your time? How are you worshipping God on social media? How are you worshipping God in your uh, actions and words? How are you worshipping God when you're at school and you're speaking to your teachers? You have a chance as a generation to show the world Jesus by how you live it out in your life as worship to God. And I believe that even this morning, some of you beginning to, God's beginning to highlight areas of your life that he's asking you to submit to him. And unlike the Wilkinson's pick a mix aisle, which is probably my favourite part of Wilkinson's ever, I could tell you a story about, hover, about holding the pick and mix over so it costs less, but I won't, and getting caught doing it. But anyway, I won't do that. Um, but unlike the pick and mix aisle, guys, we can't just pick and mix what, uh, the, the things that we will submit to Jesus. We need to submit our whole lives to him, everything that we have and everything that we are. And I'm not here to tell you off. This is not a point the finger moment. 
But we need to remember that actually for some people, the way that we live our lives may be the only example they see of Jesus. And so we need to take these things seriously. You know, when people look at you, do they see Jesus? Are they seeing the difference that Jesus makes in your life? How you live, how you act, how you use your money? It's a super hard challenge. I totally get that. And in the passage, it talks about us shining like a, uh, as a generation, shining like stars in the sky. And you know, guys, um, on Friday night, I was kind of walking back to uh, my, where I was staying, and um, I, looked up at the, uh, I looked up at the sky, and uh, all the stars were out, and I was mesmerized. They drawed me in. They are amazing. There was hundreds and thousands of stars. And if you haven't yet, tonight, have a look up. Look at the stars. Because actually that is a picture for us as, as people, as followers of Jesus, that we need to shine brightly like the stars shine in the sky. That people can't help but notice us. So firstly, a generation known for, for worship. And secondly, a generation known for compassion. We're massively passionate about compassion. Ollie said that earlier when he was highlighting uh, the, the, uh, the seminar we've got later on today. You know, think about it for a second. When was the last time that you guys saw an act of compassion? Have a think about it. Was it you who was uh, doing the act of compassion? Was it somebody else? How did it make you feel? Were you like, oh, that's really great. Oh, I wish I hadn't have done that. I wish I hadn't got involved. You know, as a generation, are we re- reaching the least, the last, and the lost in this world? In your generation, are you reaching the least, the last, and the lost? You know, we live in a world of 24-7 news, don't we? All the time, constant news. And in the news, we see so many um, news stories about people needing compassion, people who are being displaced in their own country, people who are struggling to find water and food and shelter, people that are homeless, wars or rumors of wars, it's all over the place. And you know, the Bible is, is full of stories of compassion as well. If you look at the stories of, of Ruth or Jonah or Joseph, you'll see that. But actually, the ultimate story of compassion is God sacrificing his son Jesus on the cross for each and every one of us. We follow a compassionate God. And if you want to see what compassion looks like, then read the accounts of Jesus in the Bible. You know, the way that he encountered the woman at the well, the way he encountered the Samaritan woman, the way he spoke to lepers and tax collectors, the way that he trained and discipled his disciples. He did it all with an air of compassion. And compassion isn't about being just a good person. And it's not just about doing stuff. It's more than that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But ultimately, compassion is about seeing what God sees. And and trying to uh, get God's kingdom to break in in those situations and places. To see people free. And to see God's goodness in all of it. And it's something that we need to pray for, be practically involved in. And it should be part of our DNA. Now, it's been a great weekend for weather. Who would agree? Woo! Everyone's enjoying the sunshine. And um, camping's not always like that. Who's, who's, uh, who's had a really bad experience of camping sometime in their life? I think that's pretty much everybody here. And, um, and camping can be a bit of a Marmite thing, I think. You either love it or you hate it. And uh, I love it. My wife is not a massive fan of camping. So if you hate it, if you hate camping and you're here, I salute you. You're my hero. And uh, 
You know, a while back, I was camping, and uh, it was the middle of the night, pitch black, heavy, heavy rain. Like, I'm talking the kind of rain that you can't hear yourself because it's so loud on your tent. And, uh, you know, many of us have been there. And then it happened. I was lying there, and a drip landed right on my forehead. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh. My heart sank, and I was like, maybe it was just some condensation. I'll just check. So I turned my torch on, and I saw the devastation that was before me. My whole tent had flooded. My stuff was drenched. My clothes were drenched. My sleeping bag was drenched. It was a pretty miserable weekend, I'm not going to lie. Now think of a tent like this. Each hole in the tent is an act of compassion that happens. And uh, and as as the hole uh, is formed, water gets in. But think of the water as the kingdom of God. So every act of compassion that happens, another hole forms in the tent. More of God's kingdom gets poured in until eventually the, uh, the tent can't take anymore and it rips and a massive hole appears. That's like acts of compassion happening all over the place. Little acts of compassion to eventually people see the compassion of God and the love of God. Every act of compassion makes a change. Now going back to that ant story again. Back to that ant uh, analogy. You might think that your youth group doing a small act of compassion has, makes no difference whatsoever. But I'm here to break that lie. It does have an impact. Because God sees what the impact is. And it starts to a chain of bigger impacts that can happen all over the places, the towns, the cities that you live in. You know, compassion changes us as well. It changes the way that we start to see things. We start seeing things as God does. We start to see the people in need and we act upon that. And we also see changes in people and places. You know, when we start to feed the hungry, give the thirsty a drink, visit the lonely, show hospitality, clothe people. You know, compassion is more than pity. It's more than a, they're there, it'll be okay, don't worry about it. Compassion is seeing that need and getting stuck right in the middle of it. Now, I was once... uh, leaving church, a church I used to work for. It was home time. I was going home for my dinner. And as I, uh, as I come out of the church, there was a guy outside reading a sign. And um, I just felt a whole, the Holy Spirit prompt my heart to say, go and chat to that guy. And I was like, oh, I just want to go home for my dinner and chill out. I was like, all right, I'll do it. So I went over to the guy and started chatting to him. And um, we chatted for probably like half an hour or something. And I said, can, I, can, I, can we meet tomorrow for a coffee and we can chat more? And he's like, yeah, sure. So he came back to the church the following day and we had a, had a coffee and we chatted for quite a long time, actually. And he told me a bit of his story about some of the difficulties that he was facing in relationships with his, with his uh, wife and his kids and the fact that he was looking for employment and things. He, he was just having a tough time of it. And I said to him, like, I can't help you. Or I can't, you know, I can't help all, all those needs, but I know that there are many people in my church that would love to help you. Could, would you come along to church on Sunday, and I'll introduce you to a few people? And he was like, yeah, I'll come along. So he came along to church on that Sunday, and thankfully, the church I was involved in got stuck in, and there were different people helping him in different ways. Just like the ant story, guys, we can all be uh, that difference. And the guy... Um, came along a few more times, did an Alpha course, and eventually gave his life to Jesus, which is great. Now, I don't say that to promote myself. I say that to promote the Holy Spirit, because actually, 
we need to be prompted by the Holy Spirit to move. So DTI, here's the challenge. How are you going to be a generation known for your compassion? How could you, the DTI generation, bring about God's kingdom in this place? In the schools, in the colleges, in the towns and cities you're from. It's not too big a job. Together, I believe that your generation can make a difference in this world. Because if God is for us and with us, then who can be against us? Am I right? Yeah. So a generation known for worship, a generation known for compassion, and then thirdly and finally, a generation known for your generosity. You know, um, this time last year, I was standing on the stage and saying, I could have to dash off at any moment because um, I'm about to become a father, so if I have to dash off, then I've got to go. Well, thankfully, my daughter, Olivia, you're going to see her on the screen in a second. She was born 10 days after DTI last year, so she's going to be one uh, next weekend. And um, people were extremely generous to us. They gave us... Um, thanks, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was my lunch date a few weeks ago. And um, so, yeah, so people were really generous to us. They gave us loads of stuff. They bought us loads of flashy, noisy bits of plastic. I don't know what it is, but people just love giving new parents flashy, noisy bits of plastic. And, uh, but not only were they generous with you know, the gifts they bought us, they were also generous with their time. People cooked us dinners. They cleaned our house. They went food shopping for us. They did our ironing. Thank you, Lord. And uh, they did so much more other things. And isn't it great when somebody else goes above and beyond what they should and show us amazing generosity? Now, there's a story that Jesus tells about generosity. It's in Luke 12, 16 to 21. It's going to come up on the screen. It says this. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Now I don't think the emphasis of the story that Jesus was saying was on the fact that the guy passed away, should we say, at the end of the story. I think what Jesus is trying to say and try to communicate is how we use the excess that we have in life. You know, think about it. This guy was already a rich man. He'd got loads of stuff already and then he had another bumper harvest. And instead of doing something with it, he decided to keep it for himself. But I also think it's not just about stuff or money that Jesus is trying to communicate in his story. I think he's also challenging us about how generous we are with our time, how generous we are about our words. You know, it's good to be wise about these things. It's good to have a savings account. But also, I think it's great to be generous too. And uh, we have and serve a generous God who is generous to us and calls us to be generous as well. He wants to give good gifts to all of us every single one of you, but he also calls us to share those gifts and that generosity to other people. In Proverbs, it says, the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed. Those who help others are helped. And I just want to end quickly with a story. Um, it's a story of a guy I know in the States. Now, he's a missionary over there, and uh, he recounted this story that he had his car broke, and so he took it to the garage and the garage said, yeah, it's going to cost you $100 to fix your car. And he was like, right, that's a bit eh, because I've only got $100 left in my bank account, but okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. 
And then he suddenly remembered that earlier that day, the Holy Spirit had prompted him to write a check for $100 to somebody else in need. And he was like, well, I can't now fix my car. So he went home and um, pulled up on the driveway and a bit deflated. And as he opened the door to step out of his car, as he looked on his driveway, there, right in front of him, was a $100 bill. You know, God is the God of the impossible. He wants to give us good gifts. And when we are generous... He sees that, and he sees our willingness to step out for others. So DTI, let's be known for our generosity, a generation who has received God's generosity and then who freely gives it away. And guys, let's dream the impossible for our, in our generosity. Let's be a generation known for how we worship God in all things, how we show compassion to people, and how we show generosity. And a, and a generation who leads with integrity shining like stars together in the sky. So that when we look back in 10 to 15 years, we will see that your generation is the known generation.